Heyo! Welcome to Blonde Moments Podcast. This is Melinda Collins. And I'm Gina Vogie. And we are excited that you are here with us today, listening to our shenanigans. I still have no smell or taste. Life is, is dim for me. I have my smell and taste, but it did not serve me well for that piece of shit <laughs> cauliflower crust pizza I tried <laughs> to make over the weekend. <laughs> if you missed Gina's snap, uh, fill us in. I'll have to put it back up. It was... So I, I usually get this brand of cauliflower pizza called Cauliflower, and it's pretty good. You know, it's... I don't think any cauliflower crust pizza is like, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> You know, like <laughs> not my not my jam. But you know, the holidays tack on a few pounds, so your girl Gina's trying to shed those. And I got this new brand. It looks so pretty. I was like, ooh, I'm gonna try this one. Fucking garbage. I mean, it went from like the size of I don't know, what would you say, like eight inches in diameter? To like slosh. Two. Yeah. yeah just like two. <laughs> and I'm telling you that I cooked it. to the directions on the back of the box because I'd never cooked it before. And some of them, you know, they want you to preheat the pan first before you put it on it. Some of them they want you to. That's what you get for eating cauliflower pizza. It's fucking bullshit. Mm -hmm. This thing I had to take out of the oven early because five minutes early because it was black around the edges and smoking. Like it stunk up my whole fucking kitchen. I was like, how was I supposed to leave this in for five minutes longer? I let it cool. They're trying to have you burn your house down again. I've already almost done that in one stove. (laughs) And then it said after it cooled for seven minutes to to lift it off the pan. And basically it just went into an entire thing of mush. Yeah. DiGiorno doesn't do you dirty like that. Well, I will never, ever, (laughs) ever buy this fucking pizza ever again. (laughs) And I do not recommend that anyone else do it. You're so angry. I am. And I was so hungry. I cooked a second one at a lower temperature because I had two. The second one still turned to garbage. I was so fucking mad. And my husband wasn't helping because the second one was so crisp that you could actually cut it, but it was so burnt. He like cut it into eight pieces. He was like, do you want one? Like, wow. <laughs> meanwhile, he's eating like Pizza Hut. Oh, no. Meanwhile, he was already eating his pizza that, you know, was not called, that he had baked to perfection. Uh-huh, yeah. See, it's your own fault. He did offer me some of his pizza, but I was too mad. You know, you're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why is women, are we, are we like that? I'm fine. Yeah. I'm not even hungry. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to eat anyways. <laughs> I didn't even want pizza. <laughs> <laughs> I burned it on purpose. Yeah, I like it. Because I didn't want to eat. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I have an excellent product for after you have sex. Oh, besides a sandwich? Uh, Okay, nope. It's not going to top the sandwich. But this is for cleanup. Oh. It's called a come and gone. Oh. Post-intercourse pre-cuddle cleanup solution. I can't even like read this without. <laughs> so basically, these things look like a popsicle, and after you have sex, oh, you're you, supposed like, to insert, insert it, it, and it absorbs the semen. Okay, and it says clean up on aisle V. <laughs> Literally, one. Yes. Literally, what went through my head after sex every single time? The ninja roll off the bed, penguin walk to the bathroom, and camp out on the toilet just wasn't fun. Gobs of toilet paper later. Push it out. Yep. I still couldn't get it all out, not to mention my sheets. So they there's a picture of it showing them with a Twinkie, how you insert it, and it's supposed to absorb everything. I'll let you see the pictures. Okay. But the reason why I wanted to talk about this because i won't try it personally but there was a five-star review oh (laughs) let's hear it so this is from connie it says amazing product there is a lot to uncover in this review okay all right my husband and i have been together for 43 years to this day we still cannot keep our hands off of each other kudos to them hell yeah my husband's ejaculate (laughs) Is the consistency of cake batter and pungent. Oh my gosh. 
<laughs> it is always a rush to the bathroom to do a quick cleanup. But after the last attempt, I fell and broke my hip, and cleanup has been taking more of a mental toll on me than usual. Oh. Ready for this? It's very serious. After my daughter bought this product for me. Oh. oh, oh. <laughs> well, I'm assuming her daughter is grown if they've been married for 43 years. Yeah, and you know that your dad's semen is like cake batter and pungent? Mm. TMI if that was my parents. Yeah. I no longer have to wait on the bed holding the semen in, hoping it does not erupt out of me like a volcano. <laughs> Finally, no more wet undies or glops of mangoo on my floor. I am getting older and rushing to the bathroom is just not an option anymore. Thanks to come and go, there will be no more sliding around on loose semen all over my floor. Thank you so much. <laughs> what? So what does she just keep a fucking stack of these in her nightstand? She must. Like under her pillow? But, uh, okay. Yeah, maybe it'll run down your leg a little bit. Maybe. Unless he is making a whole lot of fucking cum. <laughs> you know, like, I I guess there's... <laughs> We've learned from porn that some men are more squirters than others, right? It's true. Oh, let me see this. I, I don't know if... Uh... It just looks like a fucking sponge on a popsicle stick. Exactly. Get, at, get the fuck out of here. But if you scroll, you can see the Twinkie picture. You know, I was expecting this to be a little bit more exciting than than this. So if you've tried this, I'd like to know about it. Is it something that actually works? <sighs> to me personally, the Twinkie picture would be better if it was a video and you showed some of that cream being absorbed. Empty- yeah, being emptied out of the Twinkie. I'm sorry, but I doubt that cream gets absorbed by that popsicle. Yeah, like what is the material? It looks just like a sponge. On it, it almost a looks stick. like what you wrap, like a styrofoam. Yes, mm-hmm. like so. It has to be some kind of absorbent material. I don't mm. know. I mean, fuck it. I'll try anything once. I'd try it. I just had to share that because of that. Did, wait, did you say you wouldn't try it? I I don't have a need for it. No. Oh, I would. T- I would try it once. Maybe it does work. I don't know. But like, I don't honestly feel like. I- it's ever that big of a problem. It's not like there's that much semen dripping out of me that <laughs> I need a whole like appliance. I mean, usually by the time I go to the bathroom, it's coming down my leg for sure. Sure. You know. But not not enough for me to actually like I'm not racing to the bathroom so quickly to get the cum out though. I'm like falling and breaking my hip either. So if a little I, comes out too, like, okay. I guess I just don't see what the big deal is. That's where I'm coming from. Yeah. I wash my sheets all the time. It's right. Not, like normally, it's not that. I can wipe it off of my leg. I can wipe it off of my pussy. Like, But maybe there's somebody out there who's like, thank God, I'm so happy that they invented this thing. If some falls on the carpet, you just take your foot and kind of rub it in a little. <laughs> and then your dog comes in. <laughs> I don't know. My bathroom, my master bathroom is so close to my side of the bed because I pee a lot. So I sleep on that side. And then we have- I do too. I pee a lot We too. don't have carpeted bathrooms. So it's easy cleanup for yeah. me. So no, not a product that I need. But if you have the use for it, there you go. It's called Come and Gone. I mean, I would try it once. Maybe maybe so, I'd shove that little sponge up there and I'd be like, wow, and then you this just, is really cool. Okay, so what's the difference between this and a tampon? Maybe it's more like quickly absorbing than a tampon. Hmm. I need to know the materials. I need to know what it's made of. Because a tampon is just like a hard, compacted piece of cotton. I don't use tampons. I use a period cup. So so then why don't you just shove a period cup inside of you? You could. That could collect it, and then you just empty it and wash it out. Same thing. Okay, there is a video of the Twinkie. Oh, and perfect. it just looks like the cream just sticks on the end. It Let doesn't even look like it's absorbing. Oh my god, they're even squirting extra like, filling, extra filling in there, whipped cream, whatever. And it looks like the filling just sticking on the end of it. Yeah, there's a pop up for you. Hey, let us know if you have any questions. <laughs> We're real people here, and not robots. We do have. So questions. it may take us a few. You know what? I'm gonna click to reply. What is the absorbent? Heart made of. Oh my God, why are you doing this on my phone? (laughs) 
Oh, it's it, the reply is from Awkward Essentials. Leave us your email and we, and we will reply soon. Well, damn it, Francis. You made it I, seem like you were going to answer me right away. You yeah, bitch. I thought you weren't a bot. Yeah, you bitch. Turns out you are a fucking bot, Francis. Oh, there's three dots. Oh, are they replying? Maybe. Oh, now there's a different name for it. It says Drip Stick, the after sex cleanup sponge. A 10 pack is $15. A 69 pack is $69. A dollar each. That's not bad. I see what you did, but you have to buy them in bulk. Yeah. I wonder what the impact, that's got to be a lot of waste for the environment too, when you can literally just squeeze it out of your body. Seems like a waste. There's literally like a step-by-step how to use it too. (laughs) And then it says, always pee after sex to help avoid UTIs. So we don't need your damn product. Right. Because if we're going in the bathroom anyways... (laughs) I'm over it. Interesting idea, though. There's a bunch of reviews. I mean, people seem pretty happy with it. What I want to know is who came up with this idea? Like, say it was like you and me, and I came over one day, and I was like, Mel, I know how we're going to make some money. My my husband's <laughs> semen is pungent and cake batter-like. I think if your husband's semen is pungent, you might need to get that checked out, too. I agree. Yeah. There might be something more going on there. Yeah. Gonorrhea. Right. Oh, my God. There's even <laughs> there's even merchandise. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I wonder what this is. Can you imagine, like, having this on Shark Tank or something? You know what, though? This is another thing. This is one of these things I think is so useless, and they're probably millionaires from it. I don't know how many people are buying this. <laughs> you can buy a cup. Like uh, for your drinks. Oh, for your water. Everybody wants to uh, advertise this drip stick. You're at the PTA meeting with that water bottle. (laughs) (laughs) Just advertising. Oh, yeah. It cleans the come out great, girls. Easy cleanup, her. Oh, she wrote back. This isn't Francis. This is Anna. Oh. She said, hi. Thanks for reaching out. The sponge is made from medical grade polyurethane and the handle is made from polypropylene. There are no additives. This is the same material as some condoms and the contraceptive sponge. Okay. Sounds like a lot of plastic. All right. Well, I have a really fun story. <laughs> a Michigan man sued his parents for throwing out his prized pornography collection. <laughs> <laughs> he is now in line to collect a hefty reimbursement from them. Wow. In a ruling handed down Wednesday by U.S. District Judge Paul Maloney, Beth and Paul working will have to pay their son David, 42 years old, as much as $75,000 for destroying his porn. Now that's a porn collection. I mean, but dude, if you're 42 still living at home. You're suing your parents and you live at home. I mean, I would assume. Why else would they throw out his porn? Maybe he just had it left there and they got rid of it. I don't know. Let's find out. But dude, if you still live at home. And your parents throw out your porn collection, you have the balls to sue them. That's that's fucked up. You don't have a place to live anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now I have $72,000. David working won a summary judgment in the case, and he and his parents have until mid-February to file written submissions on the damages. In his lawsuit, the younger working valued the property at an estimated twenty five grand, but his attorney, Miles Greengard, told the outlet that we have asked the court for damages, which we believe are warranted (laughs) given the destruction of the property. This was a collection of irreplaceable items and property. Working moved into his parents' home. <laughs> oh, man. This story keeps getting Glen better, better. Haven on the state's eastern shore of Lake Michigan in 2016 after he got divorced. After he moved a few months later, he dis- working discovered he was missing 12 boxes of pornographic films and magazines. Oh, oh my God. His this parents dick effect- is so chafed. <laughs> apparently confessed to destroying the collection in email. Frankly, David, I did you a big favor by getting rid of all of this stuff. In other emails, he told his son he was shocked by many of the scenes in the collection, which he claimed depicted incestuous sexual relationships, sex with minors and (gasps) animals. Oh, no. See, okay, if you're bringing that into the court, he's not going to win. Yeah. Sexual Um, assault and slavery. Hold on, though. You know this dad just kept all this shit for himself. (laughs) You know it. He's got it in some crawl space somewhere. 
That you would buy and watch films depicting such violence is beyond me, Working's father wrote. I have no words to express the depth of my shock and disappointment. Believe it or not, one reason for why I destroyed your porn was for your own mental and emotional health. (laughs) I would have done the same if I had found a kilo of crack cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) I like the dad's like... (laughs) rationalization what i think is funny too is then if his dad's like perusing through it to list off what five bad things (laughs) this one's saying that dad did not destroy it the son denied any of his pornography was illegal a review of the materials by the sheriff's department in ottawa county michigan found no evidence of child pornography and no charges were filed in the matter how is he reviewing it if everything's gone a detailed list of workings porn collection that was entered in the court record showed it included 1,605 individual titles of pornographic DVDs and VHS, VHS tapes and at least 50 sex toys and paraphernalia. Yeah. So like how does he – how does the judge know if the stuff is gone? I don't know. Maybe it wasn't like totally destroyed. Hmm. Yeah, because daddy's girl face. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, so, I'm going out with the girls tonight. Okay, babe. Can you imagine on. like their household around the holidays though? Like with a pending court case <laughs> of your parents destroying your porn. Over porn. Weird Uncle Dave and his Destroyed. porn collection. Mm-hmm. Just love that he lived at home too. Well, it seems like he lived at home after he got divorced and then moved into his own place mm-hmm. and then discovered after he moved, that the porn was missing. It's still funny to me. Yes. Like, suing, your parents helped you out. Exactly. You're <laughs> suing people who helped you out when shit got oh. real for you. I mean, how does it get that far to sue your parents, too? Like, you can have a conversation with your dad and mom and be pissed, be like, what the fuck? But, like, to actually sue them. Like, he was that mad about his porn collection, which was quite extensive. He must have had some, like close connection with some of these pieces of maybe porn. he was a pet for one of them <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe the key was yeah. in one of those dvds and uh-huh. it's gone and now his dick is it's locked dick up. in a lockbox yeah yeah he's fucked <laughs> we've learned so much on this podcast you know you just you never know all right here's a weird story i love the weird stories In February 2019, 31-year-old West Virginian Amanda McClure murdered her boyfriend, 38-year-old John McGuire, with the help of her sister and father. Her modus operandi? To marry her dad. Oh, sick. (laughs) What the fuck? So Amanda dosed John with liquid meth. Liquid meth? Mm-hmm. I've never even heard of that. What is liquid meth? You learn so much. I'm gonna every have, time we record. I'm gonna have to Google this while you're sharing. So while he was dosed with this meth, she and her family tortured him for two to three days before finally killing him. Oh my! He was God. then dismembered, buried, exhumed, reburied, and ultimately found at a property the family was staying in. <sighs> Disgusting. She begged for forgiveness and claimed that the abuse she suffered at the hands of her father had ultimately led her down her murderous path. But she was sentenced to 40 years in prison, which is not enough time. No. I never will understand. 40 years for killing somebody? Torturing him? Jesus. Yeah. You wonder how much of that is true about her being abused by her father if she wanted to marry him. Yeah, why would she want to marry him? Well, like we learned with Velma. Remember good old Granny Velma? She couldn't get away from her her dad. So who knows? Yeah. But incestual shit is always so gross to me. Like, yeah. I can't find anything on liquid meth. I mean, I saw an article about like how they track they caught it at the border because it was in a bunch of water bottles but how do you how do you use it i feel so dumb googling this <laughs> now i'm going on the dea website so i'm really going to be flagged oh for sure well it's okay so it seems like meth is in a powder form so you probably just cook it the same way 
Oh, like crystal meth. This article says most people snort or swallow meth the first time they try it. Hmm. Swallowing it? See, I've never heard of that either. Yeah, it just seems like meth, oh. you, you just cook it like with a spoon. Some people insert meth into the anus. Oh, are you going to try it? Plugging, booty bumping. You're going to try this out? Uh, no, we've already talked. I do not like anything that races the heart rate. <laughs> I can't do it. That's where I draw the line. I, yeah, if I if it races my heart rate, I'm out. I I have anxiety like already. I have panic like anxiety. Uh uh-uh. uh. It would send my anxiety. I would have like panic attack after panic attack after panic attack. I I couldn't do it. So this is why I could never be a crackhead. And it seems like everybody, among who, other reasons, <laughs> who has tried it, it says I tried it once and boom, I was addicted. Don't do it, y'all. Let's all stay away from the meth of any form, whether it's liquid, crack, crystal, boofing it, whatever. What if it's crystal method? I did always love that group. Okay, back again. <laughs> right? That's crystal method. I Come think so. Back from more. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, I just know the one out of me. The one, the one song where it's the beginning of uh, the Dark Crystal. That's like the one that sticks out the most to me. Huh? The the beginning part of it is they use the words from the movie, The Dark Crystal. The power of the crystal. Oh. Yeah. Oh my God. I used to listen to the song. That. Yes. Oh no, not that one. That's not the one I'm thinking of. <laughs> oh my god, I used to listen to this so much when I was in high school. I'm trying to get to the chorus here. Remember that one that? was in the movie Go, right? Yes, yes, yes. yes. <sighs> this is the one I'm talking this about. This is, um, don't tell me who this is. Don't tell me who this is. Oh my god. The name of the game. Fat Boy Slim. No, that's Crystal Method. Oh. Is it name of the game though? No, it's trip like I do. Trip like I but it's with filter then. That's one version okay. of it. All right. But it's... the beginning of it, it's it's the words from the dark crystal. Okay. All right. I know that song too. Oh my god, I am totally once. That was, there was a filter version. Yes, okay, that's, but I think, I don't know. If you listen to this now, this music is so bad. Are you serious? John, <laughs> ah. I mean, it's still going on. Because you're supposed to be tripping right now. Like, I know. <laughs> That's the beginning of the fucking Dark Crystal. All this for that. Yeah, so don't you remember the movie The Dark Crystal? Yeah, but I mean, I haven't the seen Skeksis. it since I was a child. What? I have it on DVD. I'll We've talked about this because I think it's on Netflix because I said The Labyrinth, you said Dark Crystal. Yeah, the Skegsies and the Mystics. <sighs> Even though they're puppets and I have a hard time with that because mm-hmm. you all know how I feel about puppets. You're very selective. Any hosers. I came across a fun article. Now, coming across this article, I have a feeling that people like to eat icicles. I never really ate icicles, did you? When I was a kid, for sure. Well, just so you know. And sometimes they tasted like dirt. If you're eating icicles, you're eating bird poop. For sure. You know what else you're probably eating? Ugh, I can't even imagine. They may look pretty outside your window, but icicles shouldn't be messed with. In addition to killing at least 15 people in the U.S. each year, which is crazy to me. Is is that a real statistic? You're the one giving us the information, Gina. Well, I mean, hopefully Uh, it's a credited article. (laughs) You said it kills 15 people? Yeah, like... But probably not from eating, but probably like being like stabbed in your head. Yeah, Uh or like knocked in the head with it, or I don't know. Uh, They contain nasty bacteria. So unless you're interested in ingesting bird poop, it's best not to treat them like a popsicle. The ice that freezes on the outside of your home comes from water trickling off of your roof. Birds like to hang out on top of houses, and where there are birds... There's bird shit. Yeah, but when you're a kid, you don't care. You eat it's like, I would dip my gum in sand. I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> like, that's disgusting. 
I mean, yeah. Even if it doesn't contain fecal matter, water may come into contact with twigs, bugs, and dead leaves before freezing. Imagine licking your roof. Mm. If that thought grosses you out, you shouldn't be putting an icicle anywhere near your mouth. Yeah. I mean... I wouldn't want to lick my roof, no. I mean, as an adult, no. But when you were a kid, you didn't care about stuff like that. No, if someone dared you as a kid to lick your roof, you'd be like, I'll do it. Sure. (laughs) You have to fit in. (laughs) You have to fit in. Let's just... Let's all be honest. We've all put worse stuff in our mouths. Oh, I for sure have put worse in my mouth. Oh, you for sure have. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Without... A fucking shadow of a doubt. But what's worse, like giving someone a rim job or eating an icicle? Come on. I mean, depends what they ate that day. Corn? Who? What, what does that matter? <laughs> it's not like there's just a piece of corn hanging out on their butthole. There could be. It's true. But the odds of there being a piece of booty hole corn on your icicle, slim to none. Right. Unless you're using that icicle. <laughs> But <laughs> do you remember when glass dildos were all the rage and you were supposed to like put them in the microwave to heat them up? Mm-mm, I guess I never got in on this. Oh, no, but they were so hard. Like, but see, like I've never been like just a dildo fan. I like the ones that have all the gadgets and would do stuff. Uh, see, we already know my stance on this. I don't care for them at all, period. But this was back in my early 20s when I was like, ooh, yeah, going to be experimental and cool. And did you leave it out like on your coffee table? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's my glass piece? dildo. Look at it. Look at it. It's so pretty. <laughs> you it's that. like kind of purple, like rainbowish, and And I'm so cool because I have a glass mm-hmm. dildo out. No, I was not. I've just never been like a real fan of that sort of stuff. I just yeah. give me the little bullet. I'd rather have the real thing. Well, obviously, Gina. I believe all that stuff can tend to desensitize you. And then you're so used to coming off a little zzz that when you have the real thing, your clitoris is like, uh oh. It depends I need that on, it depends on how much you're using that though. Like every once in a while, not a big deal. Now, if you're using it constantly or you're using it while you're having sex too, that's bad. Well, you know, different strokes for different folks, I have to say. And I guess if that's the only way you can get off, then I guess it's better than not. Right. right? Yeah. So you shut your mouth over hey, there. Hey, it's just my personal preference. You judgmental bitch. Hey, it's just my <laughs> personal preference. <laughs> I agree I with you, though. Like, you can end up becoming desensitized for sure. Or too dependent <laughs> on that for an <laughs> orgasm, you know? <laughs> I have always wanted to get those panties where you have, like, the oh, thing. and just, like, mm-hmm. ugh, see, where your I, man has the controller. Mm-hmm. I've never done that. I, think. I haven't either. Yeah. Well, it's our anniversary. So maybe I'm going to be like, here, honey, here's your <laughs> present. For me. For me. <laughs> I might end up getting mad, though. I'd be like, leave it on. Stop turning it off. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to get off here. But I would want to use it like in public, not just like at home. For sure. Yeah. We're going out for dinner. For sure. Mm-hmm. While I'm eating my steak. Then turn it on, drinking some wine. My lobster tail. (laughs) (laughs) All right, here's another weirdo true crime story, because today's episode is our true crime. It is, yeah. It is actually our true crime today. This, uh, so 2020, obviously, was a year of weirdness. A man named Bob Lee Allen had castrated a 20-year-old Oklahoma man in a remote cabin in the woods. Oh, my God. God. He had told his victim before he castrated him that he was also a cannibal. The victim had oh. gotten into this mess when he met a man online who he asked to castrate him. The man, known as Thomas Gates, agreed and flew him out to do so. Even though the act was consensual, it is still illegal if performed without a license, which it certainly was. Oh, well, yeah. Because it's a surgical procedure. 
The ver- victim <sighs> reported that two men had rep- had performed his surgery. Gates and Allen were not only performing illegal castrations, however, but were also cannibals. The victim... Did they the, eat the dick? The victim bragged <laughs> about keeping severed body parts in his freezer. He and his partner were ultimately charged with felony counts of battery with a dangerous weapon, maiming, assault, and misdemeanor charges of failing to bury body parts. Yucky. So I don't know if he ate the wiener after. I'm going to go ahead and say he ate that dick right after he cut it off while it was still all warm. What is wrong with you Like to be like, I wonder what humans taste yeah, like? Yeah, that's disgusting. My sister sent me a Jeffrey Dahmer meme the other day. <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing at it, but people are just so freaking witty. I like... <laughs> How do you come up with this stuff? And it's a picture. Obviously, it's it's all fake. But it's a picture of Jeffrey Dahmer sitting at a Five Guys restaurant. And he's like, I don't think there's actually five guys in this. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. How are people that witty? It's disgusting. Wah, wah. It's very disgusting. Man. Mm-hmm. All right. Into the true crime. We'll, we'll take some deep dives in here. Uh, oh, my my story is a real deep dive today, so You warned us. I did. You did. I warned I warned everyone last week. So my true crime story was actually a listener suggestion. Uh Gabrielle Shaw said, Can you do a true crime on Andrea Yates? I feel like you would be able to cover it well. Thought I'd love to get your thoughts. So I said of course I can. The Andrea Yates story still haunts me to this day. Oh, so, so. she sent this directly to you? Mm-hmm. So she thinks I would do a shit job at it? Apparently. I'm Thanks, sorry. Gabrielle. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> Apparently she just... I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't like covering these hard... Yeah, this is a really tough one. I, I do remember when this happened vividly because... It, it is so disturbing. So if you've never heard the story of Andrea Yates, I'm sorry, because it might haunt you too. Uh, normally, I do watch a show um, and take kind of my own notes and twists on it. But unfortunately, there was no recent coverage of any shows. So uh, this was just the best article I found. I can link it if you want to read the entire thing as well, too. So Andrea Yates was born on July 2nd, 1964 in Houston, Texas. She was the youngest of five children, a German immigrant, and her parents were born in Ireland. She graduated from Milby High School in Houston in 1982. She was the class valedictorian, captain of the swim team, and an officer in the National Honor Society. Wow. So smart lady. A normal person. She completed a two-year pre-nursing program at the University of Houston, graduated in 1986 from the University of Texas School of Nursing. She worked as a registered nurse, so you wouldn't think that anyone who was a Mm-mm. nurse or anything like that. Just well-educated. Yeah, very well-educated, brought up well. So she met her husband, Rusty Yates, when they were both 25 at an apartment complex in Houston. Andrea, who was usually reserved, initiated the conversation. She hadn't dated until she turned 23, and before meeting Rusty, she was recovering from a broken relationship. They eventually moved in together and spent much of their time in religious study and prayer. At their marriage on April 17, 1993, they told their guests that they planned on having as many children as God provided. Wow. Plan to not have a plan. In their eight years of marriage, the Yates had four boys and one girl. Andrea stopped jogging and swimming when she became pregnant with her second child. Friends said that she had become reclusive. Her isolation appeared to increase after they decided to homeschool their five children, Noah, John, Paul, Luke, and Mary. Very religious names. They were very religious people. Mm-hmm. Rusty took a job in Florida in 1996, and the family moved into a 38-foot travel trailer in Seminole, Florida. Now, I cannot imagine living in a 38-foot travel trailer. With that many kids, too? With that too? many kids, yeah. Oh, my God. You're literally on top of each other. 38 feet? Yeah. Whew. That would be extremely stressful. Close quarters, man. In 1997, they returned to Houston and lived in their trailer because Rusty wanted to live light. The next year, Rusty purchased a 350-square-foot renovated bus as their permanent home. At this point, they had four children and living conditions were very cramped. Yeah, I can't even imagine. Those kids don't even stand a chance. 
No. Oh, my God. So Rusty purchased this bus from Michael Warnecke, a traveling minister whose religious views influenced both Rusty and Andrea Yates, like, a lot. Rusty agreed with only some of Warnicki's ideas, but Andrea embraced even the most extreme of the ideas. He preached that a woman's role was derived from the sin of Eve and that bad mothers who are bound from hell create bad children who also go to hell. Oh, God. Andrea was so totally captivated by Warnicki that Rusty and Andrea's family is like became very concerned. Like she was so kind of obsessed with this. And I think for somebody who at this point to me – she was already displaying signs of mental illness to kind of grasp onto this extreme idea was very bad. Mm-hmm. It was not a good idea. On June 16th, 1999, Andrea called Rusty and begged him to come home. He found her shaking involuntarily and chewing on her fingers. The next day, she was hospitalized after she tried to commit suicide by taking an overdose of pills. She was transferred to the Methodist Hospital Psychiatric Unit and diagnosed with a major depressive disorder. Oh, man. The medical staff described Andrea as evasive in discussing her problems, and on June 24th, she was prescribed an antidepressant and was released. So not that long, the 16th to the 24th. She probably needed a little bit more. Yeah. I know it's tough with, you know, the mental health facilities because they can only keep you for so long. So maybe they did the best that they could. But once she was home, Andrea didn't take the medication. She began to self-mutilate and refused to feed her children because she felt they were eating too much. Oh, no. She thought there were video cameras in the ceilings and said that the characters on the televisions were talking to her and the children. She told Rusty about the hallucinations, yet neither of them informed Andrea's psychiatrist, uh, Dr. Mm -hmm. Eileen Starbranch, who later told the court at Yates' first trial that she ranked her among the five sickest patients she had ever seen. On July 20th, Andrea put a knife to her neck and begged her husband to let her die. So at this point, to me, there is like 50 red flags. Yes, and to allow her to be around her children is terrifying to me. I don't think she should have been unsupervised around the children at this point, especially mm-hmm. if she wasn't even taking her medication. Mm-hmm. And, and she's I not believe... even feeding her children. So there's like signs neglect. there that she's not yeah. taking care of them. There's signs of neglect there. And, and if you're neglecting your child, there's something wrong going on because that's against every motherly instinct, right? Is mm-hmm. to protect your child, not neglect them. Right. So... Andrea was again hospitalized after that incident when she put the knife to her neck, and she stayed in a canatonic state for 10 days. Uh, After being treated with injections of drugs that included Haldol, an antipsychotic, her condition improved. Rusty was optimistic about drug therapy because Andrea appeared more like she was when they first met. Starbatch, that's the psychiatrist, warned the Yates that having another baby might bring on more psychotic Mm -hmm. behavior. So basically, she was like, no more kids. It's not a good idea. Andrew was placed on outpatient care and prescribed Haldol, which is a pretty pretty serious antipsychotic, antidepressant. Andrea's family urged Rusty to buy a home instead of returning Andrea to the cramped space of the bus. He purchased a nice home in a peaceful neighborhood, which, thank gosh. Right. Because I can't imagine that the bus was a good situation either. Once in her new home, Andrea's condition improved to the point that she returned to past activities such as swimming, cooking, and some socializing. She also interacted well with her children. She expressed to Rusty that she had strong hopes for the future, but still viewed her life on the bus as her failure. So I don't know why. Well, just maybe it was the lowest point of her life, I mean. Or, you know, that's when she had these psychotic breaks and tried to kill herself, Mm -hmm. put a knife to her throat, stopped feeding her kids. So maybe when she was looking back on that, she was like, I failed. Mm -hmm. In March of 2000, Andrea, at Rusty's urging, became pregnant again and stopped taking the Haldol. Which, Rusty, come on. The psychiatrist already told you... That having another child would not be good for her state of mind, and he's urging her to have another kid. So, I mean, postpartum depression keeps popping into my head, too. Yes. On November 30th, 2000, their daughter Mary was born. Andrew was coping, but on March 12th, her father died and her mental state regressed. She stopped talking, refused liquids, mutilated herself, and would not feed Mary. She also frantically read the Bible. At the end of March, Andrea was admitted to a different hospital. Her new psychiatrist treated her briefly with Haldol, but discontinued it, saying that she did not seem psychotic. Andrea was released only to return again in May. 
She was released again after 10 days in her last follow-up visit. Her psychiatrist told her to think positive thoughts and to see a psychologist. So again, I don't understand why she was sent to a different psychologist because her first one seemed to have helped her. It seemed in, like it was working. Until the pregnancy, which she warned her wasn't a good idea. Mm-hmm. So Maybe I don't, that's why. Maybe. Yeah, maybe they were like, no, we don't like her because she mm-hmm. suggested her not getting pregnant. On June 20th, 2001, Rusty left for work, and before his mother arrived to help, Andrea began to put into action the thoughts that had consumed her for two years. She filled the bathtub with water and, beginning with Paul, systematically drowned the three youngest boys. She then placed them on her bed and covered them. Mary was left floating in the tub. Oh, my God. The last child alive, her firstborn, seven-year-old son Noah, asked his mother what was wrong with Mary. He realized what was happening, and he turned and ran away. Andrea caught him after chasing him around the house, and as he screamed, she dragged him and forced him into the tub next to Mary's floating body. He fought desperately, coming up for air twice, but Andrea held him down until he was dead. Leaving Noah in the tub, she brought Mary to the bed and laid her in the arms of her brothers. She drowned every single one of her children. Like, that to me is just unfathomable. It's unfathomable, one. And two, I, I, can't, I cannot put together all the warning signs and the times that this woman was in treatment for her mental state, for her psychosis, and this still happened. Mm-hmm. This should have never happened. This, this should have I'm never happened. I'm having a hard time right now. I'm sorry. This is like... It's, it's awful. I told you this is a heavy one, y'all. I specifically remember when this happened. I remember watching it on the news. I remember listening to the detectives crying as they described finding all the children on the bed. Like, it was just an awful... I can't even imagine walking into something like that. No. Like, it would take, even not even knowing this family, it would take so much for me to not attack this woman. Yeah. Well, apparently when she called 911, she was just like very calm and she was like, you need to come here. She called. Because obviously she's not even like a human at this point. No. And I want to say she even called um, Rusty as well too. So she called the police repeatedly saying that she needed an officer but would not say why. She then called Rusty telling him to come home right away. And Rusty stayed married to her for a long time until 2004. Well, I mean, a long time after that, several years. So I guess not that long. Um, he uh, filed for divorce. Three years. I either I would have killed her myself. Yeah. After her murdering our children, there's not a chance in hell for one more second longer I would be able to stay married. I, I wouldn't be able to forgive my spouse. No. There's no way. There's no way in any way possible I would not I would not be able to forgive my spouse. There's it makes no me so mad too because there's so many people out there who aren't able to have children. Yes. And that would have these beautiful wonderful homes and you have somebody like this who have these beautiful little kids and ugh, this is just it's this terrible. is a tough one for me so it said in 2004 rusty filed for divorce stating that he and yates had not lived together as a married couple since the day of the murders the divorce was granted on 2005 after which rusty began dating his second wife laura arnold they married in 2006 and had one son, but she filed for divorce in 2015. So I can imagine there was probably a lot of issues still going on there. Of course, there's a trial for this. During Andrea's confession, she explained her actions by saying that she wasn't a good mother, the children were not developing correctly, and they needed to be punished. And she needed to be punished as well. Uh, the trial lasted three weeks. The jury found Andrea guilty of capital murder, but rather than recommending the death penalty, they voted for life in prison. But then Ugh. this, there was a retrial ordered Ugh. in January of 2005. Uh, they granted her a new trial, ruling that the prosecution's experts' false testimony about a television p- program, Law and Order. I don't know exactly what happened there. I'd have to go into more details. But basically... After the retrial, a jury of six men and six women found Yates not guilty of murder by reason of insanity, and she was sent to a state hospital in Texas for an indefinite stay and has consistently waived her view of her status. 
the only way she could be released. Wait, so she was found not guilty? By reason of insanity. How is she just not guilty by reasons of insanity? Yeah. I mean, obviously she did it. This is so fucked up to me. It's very fucked up. This is one of those that stuck with me. It'll always stick with me. It just leaves an awful feeling in your stomach because, God, I five innocent, you know, little children. Like I, ugh, I just, I cannot. But not only that, there was so many warning signs that she really needed mental health care. I don't think they should have had the last child especially against the warnings of their psychiatrist, like, and she was starting to do better. But even as she was starting to do better and on medication, it's still one of those situations where she needs to maintain proper mental health care, Mm -hmm. proper medication, and proper visits with her psychiatrist to make sure that she's staying in a good mental space that's healthy for her and her kids. Mm-hmm. I just don't understand where they're like, oh, it'll be fine. Fuck it. I mean, I feel like, and I hope and pray that like, you know, I think we're starting to get better as a society with mental health and concerns and like God, taking yes. it real and, you know, being able to talk about it more and in the 90s and I don't know, that's early 2000s, I guess it is just looked at differently. Yeah. You know, but like if like Rusty to me is a lot to blame for this because he's the one witnessing. You know that her behavior is not correct. If, you, yeah. You if know this if she has me. neglect for your children that you, you – my like after having my son, my whole purpose in life is to protect my son. Yes. So my husband's main purpose in life is to protect his son. And if at some point in time that changes, there needs to be very drastic steps taken and there needs to be also steps taken to protect the children involved. How would you, I mean, if if somebody has attempted suicide that many times, she's mutilating herself, I would never be able to feel comfortable with her being alone with my children. No, I would, that's what I was going to say. If this were me, I would have never left my spouse alone with my children, whether I had to hire somebody or whether, you know, his mom or her mom or whoever could be there while Rusty was working with the children. But those would be the only exceptions for me. poor kids. Yeah, because she had already shown signs of neglect for the children, not feeding them or whatever else. And then she had talked about, you know, these views of the religious views that were way wacky that I, I don't know what was going on with that guy Warnecki about, you know, bad children and bad mothers and this and that. But she, it, she had let it like mentally get to her and consume her. So she shouldn't have been left alone with these children. Mm-mm. Somebody in that type of mental state needs help. Right. Because you like, obviously, she is the murderer. She's the one who did this. But obviously, she wasn't in a normal state of mind. No, it's not like everything was great. There'd never been any issues. So she's not the only one to blame here. Right. Yeah. It's not like this just came out of blue, came out of nowhere. She never had any mental health struggles. Like it's not that did not happen, you know. (laughs) So (sighs) So, I there's not a chance in hell I would ever let her be alone with children. I mean, no. that's just terrifying. She needed help and she wasn't getting it. Yeah. It's a huge, the whole thing is just a horrible, horrible Society tragedy. Society or how, however you want to say it failed her for not getting her the help that she need because, needed because, of course, it seems like at some point she was a very bright individual. Yeah. How she was like grew up, like raised. Yeah. And she didn't come from a bad home. She wasn't beaten or neglected or anything like that you know but she was failed because she wasn't getting the help that she needed so that's a a problem her husband turning a blind eye for whatever was the worst thing ever is is terrifying and scary and those poor children are the ones to suffer from all of this and it's just they were failed by so many people. Yeah, on multiple occasions, I think there was there was a lot of failure in this case. Fuck, and, man. I mean, I I do remember watching a show too that one of the psychiatrists. I want to say it was the first one. She had like a note in her file, you know, about that she needed to be followed up on on, on Andrea, but it, it fell it through never, the cracks. It fell through the cracks. It it never was followed through on. Ugh. 
So I covered it, but this is still a story that haunts me to this day. I think it always will. It's just terrible. I This is a story I don't ever want to think about again. No. Gabrielle had suggested someone else too, which I haven't even looked that person up yet. But if it's one that's this tough, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. <laughs> These are really tough ones. Man, my one last true crime was a mom that murdered uh-huh. too. Well, good news is you gave me a little heads up here. That you were doing this, and I have a survivor story. I love that. We need an uplifting story now. It's still a pretty dark story, but the fact that, you know, the the victim survives is fantastic. Yes. And so I will go into this story, which it, it takes place in 1995 in Delaware, which I was thinking... I, you don't really hear Delaware that often. No, in, I wonder why that is. Maybe it's like the safest state. I feel mm. honestly, I feel like you rarely hear even any news stories in general. Did you see that there's a new crime show show called Florida Man? I did. <laughs> I, it's on um, like Investigation Discovery. Yes, I, 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 on, I was <laughs> I was watching like trashy TV today, just flipping through channels, and I saw. <laughs> I'm pregnant and so is my teenager. Oh, my God. And I was like, let's see what this has to offer. Uh, It was boring to me. It wasn't interesting. No offense if you like the show or you're on the show, but just wasn't holding my interest. But I swear I saw an ad for the Florida Man one, and I'm like, of course. (laughs) It was only a matter of time. Yeah. But you don't see that Delaware Man murder. You know, you don't see that. I don't even think I can think of a story like a news story from Delaware. So what are y'all doing there? What are y'all doing in Delaware? You're keeping it classy. Yeah, just having fun. Just living happy lives. <laughs> I like this. Watch, somebody's going to be like, no, no, Delaware is horrible. <laughs> right. I, guess we, I don't know because I've never even visited Delaware. So, All right. So this is 1995 Delaware, and this takes place at Laurel Village Mobile Home Park. Kay Robinson, who's 32 years old, lived there with her 11-year-old son. At 2 a.m., there was loud banging at Kay's front door. She goes to the door, looks at the window, and she sees a man outside her door. He says his name is Jack Wilson, and he starts pleading with Kay to let him use her phone. He said Mm -hmm. he needed a ride, and Kay was like, no, it's super late. You can't come inside, and can you please leave? And he was refusing to leave, so she calls 911. Authorities get there and they kind of like check around the mobile home and they figure like she's not in any present danger. So they leave. Well, and I feel like these stories never turn out well where somebody comes to your house asking to use their phone. Mm -hmm. Like they never turn out well, to my knowledge. Well, she ends up going back to bed after. I would be... I don't think I'd be able to go back I'd to sleep. I'd be a little worried, yeah. 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 Well, and this is Oof. 1995, you said? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, nowadays, if, with everybody with cell phones, I'd be like, use your se- own cell phone. Yeah. <laughs> My battery's dead. Go charge it at the gas station. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Get away. Kay goes back to bed, and about 30 minutes later, she hears a noise in her kitchen. Oh, no. She goes out to her kitchen, and standing there is Jack Wilson holding a butcher knife. He starts chasing her through her home. He grabs her arms, and then he puts the knife to her throat and told her to be quiet and cooperate, or else he was going to kill her son. And he was just sleeping in the room next door to her bedroom. terrible. He tied her up and began torturing her and raping her for three hours. Jack told her that he lived in the same mobile home park, He said he had two children of his own, and while talking to her, he started stabbing her about 30 times. Oh, my God. Over and over and over again, and then he started screaming at her, are you dead yet, bitch? And then eventually, he just left her there to die. Jack went into Kay's son's room to check on him, but her son was smart, and he pretended to be asleep. So then Jack just leaves the home. Thank the Lord. Yeah, I was like, please don't tell me he hurt that child. Once Jack was gone, Kay's son ran to a neighbor's house for help. The neighbor called 911 and said that my neighbor has been robbed and stabbed. She even went on to say it sounded like she had also been raped. Police come to Kay's home and they find Kay barely clinging to life. Her neck had been cut so severely from side to side in about 10 to 15 different places. They said it seemed as if he was trying to decapitate her. Oh my God. She had at least 25 stab wounds in her back. 
They rush her to the hospital, and when she's in the ambulance, they notice that Kay's attacker had hand-drawn a smiley face on her back and her own blood. Oh my god, what a fucking sicko. I mean, so this guy was stabbing her to kill her. Yeah. Miraculously, Kay survives her stabbing. Thankfully, even though her neck was cut, he had missed her jugular and her carotid arteries. And he also, from stabbing her in the back, he missed her spinal cord. And so she wasn't paralyzed. So she made a full recovery. Kay felt like she could give a really vivid description of her attacker and that she could identify him if she saw him. She also said that luckily he had not blindfolded her and she was able to, what she was trying to do was she was trying to remember everything. So while the stabbing was going on, the raping, everything, she was paying attention to what he looked like, what he touched in the, in the house, what his voice sounded like. She, she was very aware of all of this, which Smart. is – She even went down to remember every detail about him. She even memorized how long his fingernails were. Oh, my God. So she was paying – I mean, he, he was with her for freaking three hours. She said he was so brutal with his stabbing that she felt like unless she played dead, she was going to die. So that's what she did. Kay had also noted that he had left the bedroom light on while he attacked her, and so obviously that, too, helped her be able to describe what he looked like. She gave his uh, description to the police, and they released a composite sketch to the public with as much information as possible, but they left out the bloody smiley face detail because they figured that's something only Only the attacker would would know. Yeah. Kay also was able to greatly help the police because she had made a mental note of everything he had touched. Upon investigating for fingerprints, detectives find out that the attacker had gone through and wiped his fingerprints off of everything, but Kay felt like there was one thing he may not have wiped clean, and it was a blue plastic like glass or like tumbler that she had on her nightstand. He had taken a drink out of the glass, wiped the prints off with his shirt, but then when he went to put the glass back down on the table, he'd used his hand. They were able to find prints on the glass. Also, there was what looked like to be like a lubricant that was on on the glass as well. The forensic specialist placed the tumbler into the freezer to help preserve the prints and thus setting the print allowed them more time to be able to apply powder to lift the print. And they were able to get three full prints from this tumbler. Good. Two weeks later, police were called by a neighbor of Kay's to Kay's home. The neighbor had said a man had driven up to her home, lit a candle, and got down on his knees and started praying. He said he was praying for Kay's attacker to be captured. Once police questioned him, he said he was willing to help police any way he could. His name was Doug De Silva. He was 38 years old. In his truck, he had a newspaper article about Kay's case and also had the police sketch of the attacker taped to his windshield. Okay. Weird. Yeah. Police were like, um, Taped to his windshield? Mm-hmm. Like, that's a little odd. Yes. And police were like, what's with the sketch and he said it was so if he was driving down the road he could look for the attacker and keep his eye on the composite coincidentally doug looked pretty close to this sketch yeah doug lived a hundred miles away but his ex-wife and daughter lived in Kay's mobile home park Doug also had some history with the law. One year before this attack, he was a murder suspect in the murder of a 16-year-old girl at a nearby high school. Oh, my gosh. Police brought him in for questioning, and while he's being questioned, he stopped the detectives and asked for a job application because he wanted to become a state trooper. (laughs) So the cops give him an application, which I think is funny. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, here you go. Um, While all this is going on, the police were able to put together a lineup for Kay, and Kay immediately ID'd Doug as her attacker. Kay's son was also asked to identify the suspect out of the lineup, and he too identified Doug De Silva. Later on, Doug had finished his job application, and he turned it into the authorities. And when authorities, or the detectives, look at the application, way down at the bottom, there was a hand-drawn smiley face. Oh my gosh. The investigators were shocked, but they became certain that Doug was the culprit. So Doug, while he's being questioned, the detective stated that Doug had said he or Doug had never fully confessed to the crime, but he would say things like, I just want to apologize to Kay that she was attacked. I just want to apologize for what happened to her. And the detective without directly being like, I did it. Kay wanted to be sure that Doug was the attacker and felt like she needed to hear him speak. And after hearing him speak, she felt 100% confident that he was in fact her attacker. Doug also had no alibi for the night of the attack and therefore they arrested him. He kept saying, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do it. I remember being there, but I don't remember stabbing her. 
But after Doug was arrested, forensics had sent in their findings, and lo and behold, Doug's fingerprints did not match those found on the blue glass. Oh, wow. Plus, Doug's DNA profile did not match Kay's rape kit, thus ruling him out as a culprit. Oh, my gosh. Everyone was shocked. Kay was like, no way. Like, this is the man who raped and stabbed me. How is this possible? The detectives were shocked, and they were like, nope, we're going to run this DNA through again, and they did, and... Again, it was not Doug's DNA in her rape kit. Kay was still convinced that Doug was her attacker, and she felt like she needed to be safe, so she went out, she bought a gun, and she would drive to Doug's house. She would stay outside his house, and she had every intention to go in and kill him, and she felt like she couldn't because she didn't want to go to jail because she wanted to raise her son. Yeah. So if it wasn't Doug, who was it? Who was it? Yeah. Does he have like a twin brother or something? (laughs) I'm like, how is this going to end? Straight out of a movie. Years go by and there are no new leads. And Kay feared her case was a cold case and would never be solved. And I couldn't imagine living for no many years knowing that you're It's in the back of your there. head probably every day. <sighs> you feel some type of fear. I'm sure she had many sleepless nights. Like, mm-hmm. that's awful. Awful. That's an awful way for this woman to live after an already brutal attack. I mean, she, like, barely lived. Yeah. I mean, her neck was, like, decapitated almost. That's that's severe. Nine years after the attack, Detective Rob Hudson gets a call from detectives 30 miles away in Maryland. They had an eerily similar case to Kay's. A single mom who was living in a mobile home, an attacker came to her in the early hours of the morning came to her room. He had a knife and a rolling pin. He tied her up, raped her, and had a long conversation with her. She pleaded with him not to kill her and to protect her son. When she said that, he changed in demeanor, asked for forgiveness, and then told her to stay where she was, not to move until a certain time, to then go shower and go to work, and not to contact authorities. He had gotten into her home through a broken window, and after he broke it, he actually placed the window on the ground, like against the mobile home. The culprit was 43-year-old Mike Erksridge. He got busted on this crime because they were able to find his fingerprints on that window. He looked similar to Kay's composite sketch. Unfortunately, his prints did not match those on Kay's blue glass, but she saw his photo and she's like, no, this is not him. Police did discover that Mike, his wife, and child lived in the same mobile home park as Kay when the attack occurred. So this is like all over the place, right? Yeah. Again, police think that this is their man, and maybe over time Kay forgot what he looked like, or maybe his appearance had changed so much since the attack. So police decide still they're going to run Mike's DNA through, and it comes back as a positive match to Kay's rape kit. Oh, wow. Kay was shocked and felt grateful that she hadn't killed Doug. (laughs) Yeah. But how crazy is that? She was like certain this was not her attacker. Yeah. Well, and she spent so much time studying the attacker, like, that's so crazy. Mm-hmm. So 10 years after the attack, Mike was put on trial and sentenced to life in prison plus 20 years. But she even says herself, because I watched forensic files for this one, but she was, like, so thankful she didn't kill Doug. But she was still, like, there's not a chance that this was the, the guy who attacked me. But then if you look at the three composite sketches, or uh, not the, the composite sketch with the two, with Doug and Mike, they all look alike. Yeah. It's like in the eyes. And mm-hmm. then they had long brown hair. So it's just crazy. And you know what? How many times does this probably happen? Yeah. That maybe they didn't have fingerprint or a rape kit to go off of. Well, because And she IDs him. Yeah. The, son, the son IDs, IDs him. him. Well, because even though she was like studying him, you know, whatever, at the same time, this was also a very violent attack. Mm-hmm. So it's like you got to wonder – how much you can actually remember of every detail, sure. you know. But even though she did remember details like the tumbler and things like that, like it's crazy. So wait, did wondering... they say that his fingerprints matched? No, his fingerprints were not on the so tumbler. So whose fingerprints were those? I don't know. Maybe she had a gentleman friend over and that just ended up being on the on the cup. tumbler. Who yeah. knows? But I mean, you got to go by that semen, right? I mean, well, that's... yeah, because DNA is not going to lie. Crazy. Ugh. Yeah. But she survived. Thank God. 
Get over but it. what was up with Doug, though, with the taped picture and stuff? They like- still don't know. And I guess as of when that forensics file had aired, they have no idea where he's at. Wow. And it's so crazy because how did he know about the bloody smile? Yeah, the smiley face. It's weird. Like- it's weird. There has to be some kind of but connection. you know what? If he lived in that, you know, or his ex-wife and daughter lived in that trailer park and so did Mike – Maybe they knew each other. Yeah. But for him, I mean, he basically was like implicating himself in the crime, saying he was sorry it happened. I mean, it's just, it's a weird. It's a, something still doesn't sit right uh-huh. with this, with me. Mm-hmm. Like maybe they were both there. Yep. You know? And, I mean, usually they say with every crime, someone knows something. Yeah. Something still doesn't sit right. So, mm-hmm, Doug. And especially if they don't know where he is still. Like, I don't, this is so weird to me. But I'm glad that she survived. We yes, needed and a her survivor. son is okay. And yeah. same thing with the other woman who got attacked by Mike, that she survived and the son is okay. Yeah. Eerily similar in cases too. I mean, single mom with a son living in a mobile home. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oof. Well, <laughs> that is it for true crime. Oh, my gosh. This was a... A doozy. This is a doozy, yeah. Maybe I'll find a lighter one for the next true crime. We'll like talk about like rabbits who are stealing carrots from gardens. (laughs) Well, I mean, these stories are out there, right? We're just talking about them. So because they they are, you know, interesting, right? I I think for me. They're tragic. They're tragic, but. I think for me, I learn a lot about myself by listening to these and you start learning more like warning signs and you're, I feel like I'm more aware. Yeah. Or things that you would maybe do differently in the situation. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know, even though who's to say what you'd actually do in this situation, but. Well, your number one priority in this life, if you have children, is to protect your children. And I feel like we've said this multiple times on here, but look how important a childhood is Mm -hmm. to like Velma. The granny I went over, I mean, she had a horrible childhood and then look what ended up happening to her when she got older, you know? So it's like being aware of being a good parent, putting your child first is super freaking important. Yeah. And being aware of mental health issues and handling them Mm -hmm. and treating them very seriously because they are very serious. And can we just be kind to each other? Before we started recording, I went off on this tangent with Gina about how I'm just over social media right now because people are just attacking each other. And it's just, it's literally on Twitter. It is just hate and negativity. And I don't even want to go on social media because I'm just disappointed in everybody like can we just like love each other like right. truly and like help at each the other? End of the day, you can ag- disagree with somebody, but still have compassion for them. Let's all remember that. Yes. Like, <laughs> let's so, remember to have kindness and compassion as human beings for other human beings. Love thy neighbor. Yes. <laughs> Unless they're a serial killer. Exactly. Uh, so next week's episode is going to be on sleepwalking stories. I've gotten a couple already that I'm really excited to share. I have too. Yes. I didn't know so many of y'all were sleepwalkers. Mm-hmm. We're all a little crazy. So uh, there's still time for you to send in your stories. Our email is blondemomentspodcast at gmail.com. Or you can slide in our DMs. Mm-hmm. Yes. I love it. I love it when people slide in my personal DM because – Melinda and I share the podcast page, so it's usually a rule of thumb if one person reads it, the other person won't, but mm-hmm. sometimes you can slip up, you know? so Because we like to be surprised when we're sharing the We stories. do. Mm-hmm. Neither of us knows what we're bringing to the table any day we record <laughs> at all. See, y'all, we're just that good. We make it flow. We just... <laughs> or maybe we don't. I don't know. <laughs> we're just here for the ride. We're glad y'all are on the ride with us. All right, so I will end with our blonde joke. A blonde calls an airline and asks, how long are your flights from America to the UK? The woman on the other end of the phone says, just a minute. The blonde (laughs) says, thanks, and hangs up the phone. (laughs) I'm going. (laughs) One minute. I'm there. Should I be going all the time, too? Me, too. (laughs) 